0: Thank you for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this will lift your heart and encourage you, to set your eyes more fully on Jesus as we open God's word together. You can join us anytime in person or online in our live stream. You can find that at redemptionhilldc.org. If you're not in D.C., we encourage you to get involved in a local church where you live for the sake of encouragement and accountability in a local body, but we're also glad to have you join us and and walk through this study with us. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill, you can do so at our website, again, redemptionhilldc.org. Today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Micah, and I have the privilege of sharing with us. And... uh, We are going to be in chapters 4 and 5 this morning, and so far we've uh, seen seen a God that is a God of justice. And today we're going to take a radical turn and we're going to see how Micah describes a God of mercy. In chapters 1 and 2, we saw that God punished sin and sinners. We've seen uh, God's justice displayed through the punishment of the oppressor, the abuser, and also the idolater in chapters 1 through 3. And um, we're about to take a radical turn, and chapters 4 and 5 are going to be a a highlight of God's mercy, especially when you think about the people that Micah is speaking to or talking to are the Israelites that were oppressing each other, they were abusing each other, their leaders were committing horrible things against the people, everybody was into idolatry, and, and God suddenly just changes the tone and speaks to His people, but in a very hopeful and merciful way. And that's what we're going to be um, doing today. We're going to to take a large section of Scripture, so we're going to do, uh, do things a little different. We're going to be reading each portion and then talking about it and seeing what we can take from Micah. So let's begin by reading uh, the first part of chapter 4. We're going to be reading Micah 4, verses 1 through 8. But before I start, let me go ahead and pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are a good God. Father, you are a merciful God. And today we ask that through your spirit, you will help us be reminded of this truth. And we would be reminded of um, your grace for us as sinners. I pray that your spirit would, will uh, transform us, would confront us. And also I pray that you would bring comfort for us and to others around us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains, and it shall be it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that he may walk and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine, and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken." For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. So as you see, the the whole tone changed. We went from punishment and destruction to a promise of restoration. And if you paid attention, this was also read during our Confession and Assurance. And it's, it's a passage. This, this chapter, these verses are almost exactly the same that Isaiah prophesied upon Israel around the same time. And God is telling his people that he's not just going to be mad at them or punish them, but that he is also bringing hope to them for the future. So my first point is to highlight precisely that, that God brings hope. And the language that we see in this section is is the language that when Micah spoke it to the people, brought hope to them. Especially because there were days when they were just awaiting the attack from either Assyria or Babylon. And Micah told them that they were going to be punished for, for sure. And they were going to be taken captive into exile. But in the midst of that message, God is reminding his people that there is hope to come. And I know there's a lot to unpack in this section, but there is a a tone of of restoration and hope on on this section. So if you you look at the section, the first thing that God promises is, is to restore their place of worship, which is sometimes referred as the mountain of the Lord or the house of the Lord. God also promises to, to restore their, their promise, prominence and influence in verse 2. It says that, that through the Word of God, through God, people will actually come to Israel again and, te- and they will be able to teach people God's ways. In verse 3, we see that God will restore peace among nations. There's actually this uh, this verse that says that they will uh, turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So their weapons were going to be now tools of production. Verse 4 assures them of security. They're, they will not longer live in fear. So God is bringing all this uh, uh, hope to Israel. And and finally, actually, God says that he will restore their relationship with him as well. In verse 5, God is promising all these things to the very people that he condemned in previous chapters. And this is why we called, we we, we decided to call this series, the God of Justice and Mercy. Because we see this uh, apparent contradiction between a God who is very severe to punish sin and who is very strict when it comes to sin. But we also have a God that is merciful and that is uh, graceful and that loves his people. And both of them are inseparable attributes of God. God is a God of justice. He is a, a righteous judge, but He's also a merciful Father, and these are these are apparent contradictions that we see throughout Scripture. We see a God of love, and we also see a God of wrath. But they're not contradictions. They're they're, they're uh, they they complement each other. And today we see that God doesn't really punish just out of anger. He punishes out of love. He disciplines his children out of love. He's not a God who's only angry. He is a God who's also loving. And he punishes his kids because he loves them. I, I love the picture because if you, if you look at the picture, the entire picture is, 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 a, is a father who, who is lovingly punishing his children with a better end in mind. And it really, it really challenges me as a, as a father, especially because at least I am like that. I don't know if you have kids, but if you, if you have, I, 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 I struggle to bring hope after I bring punishment. It's hard for me. I, I usually get frustrated with my kids and I just discipline them and then I forget about the hopeful part. And sometimes i like, I wish they learned their lesson on their own. But God doesn't do that. God is not just a, a God who like smashes people and then just leaves and, and hopes that we will learn our lesson. No, this is a God who is communicating to their people what is going to happen after their discipline. He, this is a God who brings hope in the midst of their, their children or his children's despair. This is a God who extends mercy even when we're reaping the consequences of our sin. And that's exactly what Micah is communicating to, to the people of God. God will come through and will bring hope even though they deserve the punishment. And this is amazing. For the Israelites, this meant that God, even though they rebelled and they worshiped other gods and they were oppressing each other and the rulers and the priests, the, the, the people in the church were also abusing people, God is going to punish them, and in fact, it happened in in seven hundred thirty-four and between seven hundred thirty-four and seven hundred twenty-four uh, before Christ. Uh, the Israel, Israel in the north was conquered by Assyria and taken into captive into captivity, and Judah was taken by in, around six hundred BC by Babylon. So they were actually punished. What God said happened, but it didn't stop there. God also kept His promise, and hope came. And 70 years later, they were able to return with the favor of the Babylonians to return. They returned to Jerusalem and they started to rebuild the temple. That's that's when we have books like Nehemiah and Eshra. God doesn't stop just with punishment and, and, and judgment. He always makes a way to bring us to hope. He always extends mercy and compassion. Back then for for Israel, God provided deliverance from the enemies, from the people that attacked them. God provided everything that they needed in order to go back to their land and rebuild their cities. And God allowed them to restore their places of worship and restore their homes. And there is a phrase throughout the Old Testament that is constantly repeated that comes to mind when I see God saying these things to, to his people. And it's Exodus 34, 6, that it's repeated at least six, six or seven times throughout the Old Testament. And it's this verse, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the perfect description of the kind of God that we're, we're seeing displayed here in Micah. This is the God who is not just a God of justice, but He is also a God of mercy. And who always brings hope, even in the midst of our sin. And just like God did for Israel back then, He does with us today. He brings hope for us in the midst of our sins. And He never leads us in punishment. He is a God that, even though we continually sin, He continues to bless us. He is a God who continues to be a a God who is low to anger and abounding in steadfast love today. And this is the God who we worship, the God of the Bible, the Creator, the same God of Micah is our God. And He continues to deliver us from many trials and tribulations and difficulties today. Isn't that true? Does God punish us and just leave us to reap the consequences of our sins? No. Sometimes he allows that, but he continues to bless us every day. We have food. We have shelter. He continues to provide uh, ways for us to enjoy little things. This is not perfect yet. There will be a time when this will be perfect. but But right now we get to see glimpses of God's blessings upon us. God provides for us. God gives us homes. God gives us friends. God has given us a church. God has given us so many things because He is a God who loves us. Even in the midst of our sin, He always brings hope to us. But let's continue reading Micah and see what else we can learn from Micah. So we're going to now jump to Micah and we're going to be reading verses 8 through 13. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O Tower of the Flock Hill, Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come; the former dominion shall come, the kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain ceased like uh, that pain seems seats you like a, like a woman in labor, writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city. And dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. They shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise, O and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in places many people and shall devote their gain to their Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. So we see that God brings hope in the midst of our suffering, but in this section, we, we actually see that Micah highlights the suffering that Israel is going is to go through. He actually tells them that they're going to cry, that they're going to suffer. In fact, it is, it is interesting that Micah uses the analogy of a woman in pain or the, labor, or the, the pain of labor. Israel is reminded that, yes, it's going to hurt. And yes, it's gonna, it's, there's going to be hope at the end, but they're going to suffer. And the, the allegory or the analogy of a woman in labor to describe the pain that Israel was going to go through, is an important uh, analogy. Because it actually tells us that or, or gives us the image that through pain, there's always something better that comes out of it. And Micah tells us that in verse 12, he actually says they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. And I believe that as Micah speaks to Israel, he's also making sure that they understand that even though there's hope, there's also suffering that comes with it. But that through that suffering, there is a better purpose in the end. And I know why Micah is using the analogy of a woman in labor. I'm not sure if you've ever been, or you, have you been present when that happens, but I have been four times and it's not fun. I did not expect to see what I saw the first time my wife went into labor. We went through the whole course that they teach you and they, they tell you how to help your wife to breathe and all those things. And I did nothing when the time came. I was completely in shock. My wife till this day makes fun of my face because my face was pale because I was in shock. I couldn't do anything. And she started having contractions and she was shaking, she was literally shaking violently. And I was totally, I, I didn't know what to do. And eventually that I mean, uh, Joel was born 10 years ago, and, and I forgot about it. But when, when, when people tell me that it's like, it's like having a baby or, or the pain of labor, unless you've been there, you really don't understand what's happening. And it's, it's interesting that Micah uses that analogy because, because it's going to hurt. And it, it, God is telling his people, look, you're about to, to hurt a lot. It's going to be bad. God is illustrating to them that the punishment wasn't going to be just a light punishment. It was going to hurt. God was going to inflict pain on his children to discipline them. But the purpose wasn't just to inflict pain for the sake of pain. No, there was something better that was going to come out. Something good that was going to come out of that suffering. And that's exactly what happens and that's why he's using this analogy. Because, and, and I've, I've, I've heard this from my wife and I've heard this from other women, is that after you see your baby, when they, when they give you the baby and, you, and they put it in front of you, it's just like everything just disappears. Well, I, I can't tell you that. I, I didn't experience it, but that's what they say. So maybe the moms in the room can assent to that or not. But uh, I've heard that it's, it, at least it makes it worth it was worth going through that pain because now you have this beautiful beautiful thing in front of you. And this is what Micah is trying to convey or God is trying to convey to Israel through, through, through Micah. Is that sometimes our suffering, as hard as it might be, will always bring something good in the end. Because just like Israel and just like Babylon and Assyria, we do not understand God's plan all the time. We do not have the full picture of what's happening. For Israel, it meant that they were going to be attacked by a- another empire. And they were going to be taken out of their houses. And they were going to be slaves or servants in a new place for, for, for years. And that hurts. God was going to inflict pain on His people because they were abusing each other. They were being idolaters. They were, be- they were rebelling against God and God, w- God was going to punish them. But in the end, God is saying something good is going to come out of this. And that's the same thing that happens to us today. Our suffering, our discipline, our sin produces pain in us. But God always redeems it and brings something good out of it. In fact, our suffering is so, Sometimes I'm not saying that suffering is something good, but through Jesus and God, we can see something good or God can bring something good out of our suffering. It can lead us to hope. And one of the good things that suffering does for us today is what Paul told uh, the church of the Corinthians, or the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul states that for this light, momentary affliction. Remember that this is Paul talking and he's referring to his sufferings as light. And if you know Paul's, Paul's life, his sufferings were not light. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for what? For an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. In God's sovereign plan, suffering, even if it's through our punishment or because of our sin, suffering today reminds us of eternity. Suffering today leads us to repentance. Suffering today moves us to prayer and to dependence on God. And we not only see this in the Christian church of of the New Testament in the early uh, first century. No, we also see this in recent years. Suffering has always made people come to God or to bring people closer to God. In fact... uh, a minister and civil rights activist, John Perkins, says in this book, in his book, One Blood. He says, we were afraid in the 60s and the 70s in the, in the South. We were very afraid, but our fears made our prayers more powerful, more honest. God, we need you. Lord, help us. God uses the person who does what he says in the midst of fear. Courage is born in the face of fear. God always uses our suffering to bring us closer to him or to, or to bring something better out of our suffering, even if we don't fully understand it. Suffering today helps us sympathize with other people. And suffering reminds us that we're not in control and that God doesn't always does things the way we do. In fact, we have a God that actually redeems suffering in such a way that Cuban Cuban theologian Justo Gonzalez reminds us that in the incarnation of Jesus, we have a God whose greatest victory is achieved through suffering and whose clearest revelation is in the cross. This is what suffering produces in us. Our God always brings hope. Out of our suffering. This is what Micah is conveying to the Israelites, as they are preparing to be attacked by Assyria and Babylon. So we now move on to chapter five because this continues to continues to get to get better, and we're now going to read Micah five verses one through six, and we're going to see that. Not only God provides hope in our suffering or hope at the end of of our trials, but now we're going to see the the fulfillment of that through Jesus, that only through Jesus, God gives us hope. So we're going to be in Micah 5 verses 1 through 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord of God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians when the Assyrian come into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrance. And he shall deliver us from Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This is the word of the Lord. I love this section because this is one of the clearest prophecies about Jesus given to Israel in one of the most difficult times they faced as a nation. This prophecy dates 700, 700 years before Jesus was born. And it, it gives us the exact place where Jesus was going to be born or the Messiah. It tells us exactly what, what which line of uh, what, what, what was going to be his lineage, the, the, the tribe of Judah. It even says that it's going to be a little town. And this is already incredible. And this is already impressive. Especially for us who now see it. Or actually know that actually happened. But for Israel, it was just a promise they held on to. And and many many Jewish people still today are waiting. or awaiting the coming of the Messiah. But we know He already came. We know that this happened. Some of them never saw this fulfilled but we have the blessing of actually now seeing how god in fact fulfills his promises and brings hope through the messiah jesus we were promised a savior a ruler a shepherd of god's people who would bring victory over the nations over assyria and babylon and it happened it happened israel never saw it at least not them. They never saw it fulfilled. But we have the blessing of now reading this and understanding what it's exactly saying and who is talking about. And Jesus not only promised to deliver them from Assyria and Babylon, he also promised to fulfill them from their idols. In fact, if you keep reading in verse in chapter 5, verses 10 to 15, you will see. That God is going to deliver them from anything that they put their their hopes on. Anything that provides a false sense of security for them. Let's read it. Verse 10 in Micah 5. And in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and I will destroy your chariots. God is saying this to Israel and this is going to be accomplished through the Messiah. Verse 11. And I will cut off the cities of your hand and throw down all your strongholds. Verse 12, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. Verse 13, and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is the deliverance that God promised to Israel through this prophecy of the Messiah, but they never saw it fulfilled. But now you and I can say that through Jesus, God has not only given us a concept of hope, he has actually given us himself as hope. And this is incredible. Because now we have the full picture. We can go back and read it, and it's incredible. And just like in the time of Micah, God continues to show mercy to his people who rebel against them. And God provides grace to sinners even today, just like in the time of Israel. God provides grace. The main difference, though, is that back then, God's deliverance was against other nations or other people. And that in fact, the Israelites were punished because of their sin, they were severely punished because of their sin. But the difference with us is that in Jesus, we are now not punished because of our sin, God punished His own son. God punished his own son on the cross as our substitute to pay for the penalty of our sins, and he died in our place. This is the beauty of the Messiah, the beauty of Jesus for us now that we have the full picture, is that we are now seeing this hope fulfilled in Jesus through the grace of God, that we are now giving a new chance, a new life, a new opportunity to be with God. And this prophecy continues to be important for us, as it was for Israel. This is proof, again, that God is a God of justice, who punishes the sin. And in our place, He punished His own son. There are people who say or think that, and you probably heard this, the God of the Old Testament is a different kind of God, right? You've heard that? It's a God that is more severe. He punishes people. He, he makes mountains crack and, and swallows people. And, and the reality is that if you think about it, back then it was just it was just things that happened in the moment. You were punished in the moment. But today, the God of the New Testament, he doesn't punish people. He punished his own son. He is more strict towards his own son because he loves us. This is the kind of God who is continually dealing with rebellious people from the Old Testament to the New Testament and today. He continues to, to deal with us. We are just like the Israelites and God continues to deal with us in the exact same way. But the difference is that we now have Jesus as our mediator. We now have Jesus in front of us who does not allow the wrath of God to come upon us and takes the wrath of God upon himself and goes to the cross and is is totally assassinated in our place so that we can now just receive the grace of God and the hope that God provides for us. That's why we need to be reminded of of the famous verse of John 3.16. That God so loved the world. That's you and I. That He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And we're just as sinners as the Israelites were. We are idolaters. We are people who do not do justice. We are people who are not upright. We fail him day and day. But only through Jesus, God provides for us true hope. And if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you, this is available for you. If you're not a Christian, God continues to provide hope for us today. All you need to do is repent and come to Jesus and believe that he is your Lord and Savior. He would give you this hope that I'm talking about. And if you're a Christian already, I just want to clarify something important here. And this is something that we see in Micah. Sometimes when we think of the hope that God provides for us, we tend to just think about the future. We tend to only think of eternity or or our salvation in terms of the, the new heavens and the new earth. And that is just half of the truth or part of the truth. We mostly think of the message of hope that the Bible promises us as an eschatological or, 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 or towards the end kind of hope. But we often ignore the present and the redemptive elements of salvation for us today, especially in our reformed circles. We, we emphasize the elements of, of, of the gospel in the future. And this is, what, this is what God is telling the people of Israel through Micah. Yes, it's going to come in the future, but it's also in the present. God is giving punishment to His people, but before He inflicts the punishment, He's actually giving them hope for that moment. We think of salvation as justification or something that happened in the past that we were declared righteous. Or we sometimes think of salvation as glorification, something that will happen in the future when we enter eternity. And usually in our reform circles, when we talk about the process of salvation today, we we refer to it as sanctification, but we we highlight that this is only suffering. But I know that God doesn't just want us to think of salvation and hope in terms of the future or in terms of the past. There is hope for us today, right now. The Bible clearly teaches us that God brings hope and mercy for both today and tomorrow. God provides a, a, a hope in our sin today and tomorrow. Suffering leads us to hope today and also for tomorrow. And that's, that's usually the, the, the danger of like the prosperity teaching. Because the prosperity teaching or the prosperity gospel tells us or highlights just today. And sometimes we tend to reject it and yeah, we should reject it because it's not just about today. But it's also not just about tomorrow or eternity, it's both. In fact, René Padilla, an Ecuadorian theologian in in a book that's called The Gospel Today, says it like this. uh, Salvation as justification can be distinguished from salvation as sanctification, and salvation as glorification uh, uh, can be distinguished oh, sorry. Salvation as justification can be distinguished from salvation as sanctification and salvation as glorification. This distinction reflects the presentation of salvation in the New Testament as an accomplished fact, a present process, and a future event. Nevertheless, the three tenses of salvation are organically united. They can be distinguished but never separated. The salvation that the gospel proclaims is not limited to the reconciliation of man with God. It encompasses the total restoration of man in all dimensions of his being. It has to do with the recovering of the whole of man to the original purpose of God for his creation." So when, I, when we speak about salvation, or we, we speak about hope, or we see what Micah is saying, it wasn't just only a, 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 a promise for the future. It was also a hope for today. And that's what I want to highlight for us today. Is that the hope that I'm talking about is something that God can provide for you today. As a Christian, you have access to peace today. As a Christian, you have access to joy today. As a Christian, you have access to, to a love that God provides for us that is, only, is for us today, not just for eternity. In fact, the Bible describes these kinds of peace or these kinds of joy as something that the world does not understand because it's supernatural. When we think of our faith, when we think of what God brings for us, it's not just for the future. And this life is not just all about suffering. No, God created this life, God created this earth, and He said it was good for us to live here. The Bible doesn't deal with only spiritual things. The Bible deals with everything. God is, is, is actually the God of all things. And He has given us beautiful things for us today to enjoy. So my last point is a reminder for us of a promise that God made Abraham a long time ago, even before Micah, and that is for us today as well. And it's, it's when God preached the gospel to Abraham. I'm not making this up. This is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 3.8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. We need to remember that the promise found in Micah, it is as much for us as Christians as it is for others around us. I want to make sure we remember that only through Jesus, we can now bring hope to the world. And look at me with, uh, to Micah, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the ch- children of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, shreds down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and your enemies shall be cut off." Everything, all the hope that God has given to us for the future and for the present is not for us to keep and enjoy by ourselves. Every blessing that God provides for us is for us to be a blessing to others. God has chosen us so that we can in turn bless others. That's the original plan. The original plan, even from Adam and Eve, was to to multiply, to, to to be stewards of God's creation, to flourish. And then with Abraham, he did the same thing. I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And that's exactly what God came to do through Jesus. He came to save us so that he can also save the entire world through us and bring hope to everyone. This is not just for us to keep. And I love the language of this. This is a language of, of being a blessing, the language of showers on the grass in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. This is what Micah is telling Israel before they go to exile. He's saying, you, You're going to suffer, you're going to go through all these things, but when you come back, I'm going to bless you, and you're now going to be a blessing to others. And then there's a language of authority. Of actually treading down into pieces and, and victory over, over their adversary, lifting up their, their hands over their adversaries. The people of God will be a blessing to the nations, bringing relief and hope and justice and mercy to everyone around them, just like God brought it to them. And this is something we need to be reminded of. God is going to bless us and God brings hope for us today and for tomorrow. This is not just for us to keep. This is for us to share with others. We are to share the hope that we have in God. The God who brings hope for us is the God who also brings hope to others through us. We as Christians are the people who, through Jesus, bring hope to the people around us, to a broken, a broken world. And that means several things today. It first means that we are called to share the good news of the gospel with the people around us. We are to to talk to people about the message of the cross. We are to call people to repentance. We are to invest in people so that they can be given the opportunity to be saved. We're always people who are about Jesus. Every relationship you have must have the purpose or the hope that that person can turn to Jesus. That is what we do. That is who we are. We are not people of a private religion that keeps it for itself. That is not Christianity. If that's what you want, then this is not for you. You're constantly being reminded and being made made, made uncomfortable because this is not for you to keep. This is for you to share. This is for you to be public. This is for you to go and tell others. This is going to get you in trouble because this is uncomfortable for others as well. But this is what we are commanded to do, to share this with others. And the description is to be like a dew in the middle of the grass. We must preach the gospel verbally to the people around us to bring salvation and hope for the future. But just like God provides hope for us today, we should also provide hope for the people today. God is interested in your relationships. God is interested in how you feel today. God is interested in your loneliness and the issues you're dealing with right now. God cares about whether you have eaten or not. God cares about whether you are being abused or not. God cares about those things for you now and has provided and is continued to provide for you today. And he does the same for others through us. As much as we need to preach the gospel, we also need to talk and and, and take care of people's needs. We are supposed to preach the gospel, not just in word, but also in deed. We must understand that our preaching of salvation is not only about justification, but it is also about sanctification that will be perfect in our glorification. It's not only about the future in heaven, heaven or spiritual things, The gospel is also about today. This is exactly what it means to live on mission. This is what we always talk about, right? We are a church who want to live on mission. And that's precisely why as community groups, we don't want you to get together and just learn the Bible together and hug each other and pray for each other. No, we want you to step outside of that and find ways to meet people's needs around us. That's living on mission. Uh, Tanzanian Anglican Bishop Donald Ntetemala says in a book called Justice, Mercy, and Humility, when he's talking about the, ch- the, the mission of the church, he says, mission must not be narrow because it is God's mission. The church's mission originates from God's mission. And as, and as such, it must be broad enough to touch both the soul and the body, the society as well as the individual. It must have an impact on people in their total need. It must be integral, total, wholesome. As the church, we must bring hope to the world in tangible ways because we have a God who always bring hope, brings hope to us through Jesus. We do both. We preach the gospel. We live the gospel to bless others, to live on mission in the city. All of this can only be done through Jesus Christ, the prophesied Messiah, and the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Only through Jesus we can bring hope to this world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your hope and for the blessing that we have in you. God, thank you because you're not a God who's only Concerned about our future, but you're also interested in today and provides for us today in very concrete ways. I pray that today we would understand the hope that we have in you and the blessing that we have in you and that you would allow us to live in peace and and joy that it's only found in Jesus. And I mostly pray that we would be able to share that with others as well. Lord, if anyone here is going through a difficulty, I pray that you would remind them of the great hope that you have given to all of us through Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would be able to experience the peace that surpasses our understanding. And the joy of salvation, I pray that you would be made real to each one of us so that in turn, we would also bring salvation and hope to the people around us in this world. Thank you, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you because it is is a display of your mercy and your justice. He is a display of your mercy and justice. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen.